I'd like to invite everyone to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Today uh, brings us to chapter 2, but just the first three verses. So uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. On the surface of it, you would think that um, there being more available jobs than workers would be a good thing, right? The sign of a healthy economy is is uh, the availability of new jobs. But not when this is part of what is now called the Great Resignation. In the 1920s, we were approaching the Great Depression, and now in the 2020s, we have the Great Resignation. If you haven't heard of this new phenomenon, it's, it's called uh, the Great Resignation because people are quitting resigning and retiring at higher rates than ever before. In fact, uh, in the U.S., 94 of 94% of businesses report having some degree of trouble finding employees, which you might feel the effects of when you're waiting in line at Walmart or Walgreens. Uh, the resignation rate just this past September of 2021 was the highest it has ever been in history. And then more than half of millennials and Gen Z workers would like better work and are looking for better work. And a lot of this has to do with the pandemic, people working from home, uh, a growing dissatisfaction with work. And I, I can sympathize with a lot of that, right? Not all of it is bad. Some of it I can sympathize with. Uh, but what's really interesting is one comment I saw in the mix of all of this, as I just have been reading about about it over the course of time. And someone someone said that we aren't meant to just live and work and die. It's interesting because I think behind this person's comment is a really important explanation of what is happening, and especially what's missing in like my generation and younger generations in general. And it's this idea of transcendence. Let me explain. For a long time, and I think this is true globally, but let's just focus on American culture. For a long time, there was a, a shared purpose for why we worked. Right? You worked for family. Or you worked for your family business or because you're going to get your family farm and you better make sure you work or else you'll lose it. You'll lose your way of life. Or maybe that shared purpose is we, we work or serve our country, right? There's this dutiful sense that, that we have. So I think what older generations had and what we often miss is this overarching transcendent purpose to our work. Working for something that's bigger than ourselves. There's a reason why depression and suicide rates have risen more than 60% in my generation and younger generations. It's because we're far more disconnected from families and communities uh, because of this world in which we were raised and and how we're being ingrained with this hyper-individualism. We're disconnected from what has traditionally been these big overarching purposes. 
In other words, the idea that I'm trying to seize on is being human means serving some kind of higher purpose. Serving some kind of higher purpose is fundamental to being human. And the more our work or anything else is about me primarily, we lose what it means to be human. In some ways, it's good to find a job that makes me happy. It's good. We don't want work to make us miserable. But as long as it's about me primarily, we lose any sense of higher purpose. It is my belief that the seventh day of creation is for the purpose of transcendence. For the purpose of this higher purpose. It is meant to cause us to step back lay down our striving, and find rest in something higher. In particular, someone higher. And we find two aspects of that here in these first three verses of chapter 2. So I'd like us to read together. You can follow on the screen, follow along in your own own Bibles. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. The first aspect of the seventh day is God's work. God's work. Do you guys know that I'm an Eagle Scout? Yeah, yeah, pretty impressive, right? Except I never talk about it, and I never put it on resumes, because I remember so little of what I was taught. Alright, don't ask me how to tie knots for you. Uh, I was much more interested in friends and video games than I was in becoming an Eagle Scout, even though I achieved it. So if you look at my life, it says less about how hard it is to become an Eagle Scout and more about how some of us just kind of slip through the cracks. In a similar way, God's rest here says a lot less about His rest and more about His work. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work he had done. In the first place, God didn't stop working. Right? God continued to sustain and provide and work in his creation. In in fact, in John 5, on the Sabbath day, Jesus himself said, my father is always at his work. And to this very day, I too am working. So like God didn't just like stop working altogether. But what's more is that the word rest here does not mean that God had to recover from fatigue. In fact, the whole point of creation is to show how little effort it took God to create all of this. There's no cosmic struggle. There's no other gods getting in his way. There's nobody thwarting him. He just speaks. 
No, the word rest here has the more nuanced meaning of, of cease. Alan Ross, commenting on this verse, said, It is not a word that refers to remedying exhaustion after a tiring week of work. Rather, it describes the enjoyment of accomplishment, the celebration of completion. God ceases from His work because His work is complete. That's what God rested means. And this this means two important things for us today. Okay, I want you to remember these things. The first is that nobody can improve upon it. In terms of creation, no star or planet can go outside of its orbit. No molecule is out of place. Butterflies flutter. Mountains are majestic. The sky is blue. Water is refreshing because the work is perfect. Nobody could say of God's creative order, it could be better. The fact that that God designed it means that it is the best that it could be. The sun feeds plants by just its light. The moon affects the tides. Water evaporates into the sky to form clouds and falls on the earth as rain. In other words, God is an architect. And everything was right and good and as it should be. Even, even with Sin in the fall, we have tornadoes and earthquakes and volcanoes and all sorts of those, those kinds of things. Do not diminish that God's work was good and is good. And if this is true of creation, that nobody can improve upon it, then it's also true of all of His work. Nobody can improve upon what God does. We, we might imagine that we can, don't we? we? We like to think that His work is too slow. Or His work is too painful. Or it might not make enough sense for us. But the reality is God's work is perfectly sufficient, perfectly timed, and perfectly good. So this is one of the main things we learn about God's work is that nobody can improve upon it. But the second thing that we learn is that this is God's work alone. Why did God rest? To not only show that the work is complete and finished, but that He is the one who determines that it is done. He is the one who decides. There is no one who helped Him create And there is no one who helps Him sustain. All created beings, angels and fallen angels and planets, beetles and humans, work for His purposes because it's His work underneath them. If there's power, it's derived power. If there's creativity, it's derived creativity. If there's work, It's derived work. All creation is not just upheld, but empowered by God's work. 
all the works of creation and created beings will always serve His purposes because it is His work alone. We contribute nothing that God has not already enabled us to do. It is God's work from beginning and middle to the end of creation. And these points are really important because they now lead us to the second aspect of the Sabbath day, or the seventh day, our Sabbath. Our Sabbath. And there's three parts of this that I'd like to explain. And the first is the pattern. The pattern. One of the hardest things about parenting is that I can't just tell Willow what to do or how to behave. As much as I often do that, and as, as much as I want to just do that and be done with, it, done with it, just telling her to be patient would be a lot easier. Be patient, and she listens, and she's patient. It's not that easy. Seriously, trying to, to ask her to be patient or to get her to wait is like the Israelites in the desert. I want McDonald's. Well, if you wait, you can get McDonald's tomorrow. No, I want McDonald's now! And in which a yelling match ensues, okay, and, and where I show her very pointedly how not to be patient because now I've lost my patience with her. It's important that I pattern how to behave for her. And the pattern that God establishes at the beginning of creation is the pattern of work and rest. To fulfill our purposes as human, we must work and we must rest. And this means, no, work is not a result of the fall. As much as we like to pretend that it is, to work is to be human. And, and one of the most depressing times of my life was when I was jobless for a few months and I had no work to do. Very depressed. And, and some of us are really good at work, while some of us are really good at rest. Okay? If you are a really hard worker, and one of the first things that you do in the morning is to get to work, you need to learn what it means to rest better. And if you are uh, like me, who's a really good napper, uh, who enjoys slower paces, you need to learn what it means to work better. If you're an employee, it's right to expect your job to honor work and rest. Often, right in history, we, uh, owners and jobs and uh, kings and, you know, whatever, abuse those who work for them because they don't honor work and rest. They just see humans as machines. And if you run a business or have employees, it's right to honor your employees with work and rest. It's the pattern that God has set for us. That's the, the first part of this. The other part of this is the command. And I want to point out two really, really important things about our passage. First, you will not find the word Sabbath in this passage. We just read them, those three verses. Sabbath does not appear here. Second, you won't actually find any command in this passage. 
you don't find God's command to rest on the seventh day. But I want to talk about the Sabbath command because this seventh day rest in Genesis 2 anticipates the command. Right? Especially because it says God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Here's the thing. Sabbath not only doesn't occur here in Genesis, or in, in Genesis 2, it doesn't occur at all in the book of Genesis. We have to wait until God rescues the Israelites in Exodus before we ever get to the word uh, Sabbath. And in Exodus, when God gives a command to, to remember the Sabbath, which would be Saturday, we're told just a few chapters later that the Sabbath will be a sign. It says, the Sabbath will be a sign between me, God, and the Israelites forever. So, so the Sabbath, right, is a sign. Covenants almost always come with a sign. When God makes a covenant with Abraham, he seals it with a sign of circumcision. When God makes a covenant with Noah, he seals it with the sign of the rainbow. Even the marriage covenant has a sign, and I'll let your imaginations run wild with what that is. But the sign of the Mosaic Covenant was Sabbath. And this leads to the last part. Purpose. What was the purpose of Sabbath? The purpose was a reminder of who the work belongs to. You see guys, for a long time we've enjoyed plenty. I mean, we have enjoyed plenty. But for the first time in a long time, we're facing scarcity. Shortage of goods. I, I was irritated yesterday that I had to drive to three different places before I could find a stinking COVID test. All right, because everyone's buying them up. I remember toilet paper? I, that, I was mad about that. I couldn't find my favorite toilet paper because people have been hoarding it. Right? So, so the first time, we're facing the shortage of goods and empty shelves, and we forgot, we forgot what it's like to live in a society like this, especially in an agrarian society, where we are totally dependent on the harvest to survive the next year. right? And if it doesn't rain, we have no crops. And if we have no crops, we die. We are totally dependent on... On, on creation working as it should to survive. And listen, you can imagine, I hope you can because I can, how tempting it would be to go out and work because your life depended on it. But the Sabbath was meant to show Israel that their lives did not depend on their work, but on God's work. It was meant to be a day of trust. A trust that a tree will not fall apart from God's command. A day to trust that, that the harvest will come because God is good. The question for the Israelites was, do you truly believe that it is God that created all of this? And that he still works to sustain it. Do you truly believe it was him or some other God that promises you this? And furthermore, 
do you trust that His work is enough for you? That's what the Sabbath was meant to do for Israel. In all of this, the Sabbath is a day of receiving. Listen, when God blessed the seventh day and He made it holy, it was an invitation to participate in and enjoy His bounty. This is all provided for you, and now your job is to receive it and enjoy it. The Sabbath was a day to receive from the abundant work of their Creator. In other words, it was a day of transcendence. A day to remind them that the work was God's, that His work is good, that His work is finished, and there's nothing left to do but to enjoy it. In Genesis, you will not find a command to Sabbath. And in the New Testament, you will not find the command to Sabbath for Christians either. Why is that? Because real Sabbath happened when God finished His works in Christ. The Sabbath was never simply about a 24-hour day. It was about a person. It always anticipated the day when God would finish the work of annihilating sin and redeeming humanity. And He finished that work in His Son, Jesus. Who lived the perfect life. His works were perfect. And He died the perfect death. His death was perfect. And Sabbath now happens in Jesus. That's where true Sabbath happens. And there's nothing we can do to improve upon it. Do you see how all of this connects? Just as there's nothing we can do to improve upon God's work in creation, we cannot improve upon God's work in Christ. We must not have Jesus plus Jesus plus our good works. Jesus plus a good life. Jesus plus good behavior. It is Jesus' work alone and there is nothing we can add to it and no way we can detract from it. It is perfect and it is complete. And not only is there nothing we can do to improve upon it, the work is God's alone. We contribute nothing. We don't even contribute this deep desire to be saved. All of salvation from beginning to middle to end is God's work. So the reason we need the Gospel every day is because we need to cease from our works every day. We cease from our striving. Ceasing from trying to earn God's approval. Ceasing from trying to earn His love. Ceasing from trying to atone for our sins and our own power as if our tears were enough. 
as if our praying was enough, as if our reading Scripture was enough. Every day we try to achieve by our own work, so every day we need Sabbath. Not just one day a week, every day of Sabbath, of resting in Christ's finished work. Some Christians use Sunday as the Lord's Day to Sabbath. Other Christians might use another day. But Paul tells us in Romans 14 that one man considers one day more sacred than the other. Another man considers every day alike. The point is that in your patterns of work and rest, you take time to receive what has already been done for you. Sabbath is about trust and receiving. The seventh day is about trusting in and receiving what God has already accomplished. It is about resting in God finished that seventh day work. The day that would come when Christ would stay on the cross. It is finished. The work is finished. We are recipients of that finished work today if you are in Christ. Nothing you can do to add to it. Nothing you can do to detract from it. The only thing possible is to receive it. A perfect, finished work on your behalf. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. It's a reminder that we have nothing left to do. Nothing to contribute to this Everything to receive. It's it's a celebration. It is finished for you. And it's the confession that, that any good that we do is by God's grace. Any act of obedience on your part is because of His work in you. This also means that we don't take it haphazardly. It means with profound humility and trembling we confess the sin that treats this grace with contempt. We confess for the times that we act like we can add to what God has done for us. We confess for the times that we think our sin diminishes what God has done for us. We confess when we treat God's work as if it's garbage by sinning repeatedly. So we take this time to examine ourselves, as Paul said. Don't take this haphazardly as if this is just another meal. This is a time to receive Christ anew in repentance and in gratitude and in trust. Receive God's Sabbath in Christ provided for you. And that is if you are a Christian. If you're not a Christian, don't take the Lord's Supper today, but receive God's work and His provision for you in faith and repentance in Christ first. Cease from your works. Receive God's work in Christ.
I want to invite John up this morning to help me. These elements, bread, juice, they should cause us to look at different places. First, they want us, as I mentioned, we should look inward at our own hearts. And, right, this doesn't mean you have to be sinless. Every Christian struggles with sin. But we should also be asking ourselves if we're using God's grace as an excuse to sin. And if that's the case, we need to repent of that before we ever partake of this. So examine yourselves first. But, but secondly, we want to look behind us. That God has finished the work for us in Christ. His life is enough for you. His death is enough for you. His resurrection right now is enough for you. Which also means we look upward. Because Christ is present among us now. He's present among these elements, which makes them much more than just bread and juice. This is His broken body. This is His spilled blood. The Lamb of God. And we also want to look around. This is something we participate in together. And if there is any sin between you and a believer, especially in this room today, reconcile that. But in either case, we want to take all of this, cease from our striving, and rest in God's Sabbath work in Christ. What we're going to do is we'll pass out these elements one at a time. We'll start with the bread. Now lead us in a benediction where we partake in the body of Christ together and we'll also um, do the same with His blood. But first, I'd like to lead us in prayer. Lord Jesus, this is not simply something that we are looking back on, but a reality we participate in now by faith. We are guilty but we, we cease from trying to cover our guilt. We can't earn Your love, so we cease from trying to earn it. We can't escape condemnation, so we cease trying to escape and instead receive the work that we cannot improve upon or take away from in Christ. And we receive the work that You alone have accomplished in us. Bless this bread. Bless this cup. That it would take us to the throne of grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray and partake of this meal today. Amen.